Welcome to the She Yearns Podcast. I am Cherry Strange, and I am so thankful you have joined us today. Thank you for being a part of this community. The She Yearns community exists to lead women to desire more of God in their everyday life, making Him evident and desirable to others. Hey, welcome to the podcast today. Let me remind you that we are going to be taking on a new name soon. It's going to be called Stirring Faith with Cherry Strange. And you're going to need to re-sign up for the podcast so that you can get it from your provider. It's no longer going to be the podcast by this name, the She Yearns podcast. Although we are going to continue doing something on Fridays with prayer on that. We introduced that last week. I hope you didn't miss it. It's just going to be short. But I wanted to give you a heads up. Keep reminding you that that is going to take place. Today, I want to tell you about something that my parents gave me a few years ago. They were moving. One thing that you do when you move is you go through all your stuff and you realize, why in the world do I still have this? (laughs) Parents give their stuff to their kids. And so, in their process of cleaning and purging, they gave me a set of Charles Spurgeon sermons. I didn't even know they had them. It's a multi-volume set. It had about 12, 15 books in it from about 1900. I was totally enthralled with it and I've been picking and choosing chapters out of those books because they're basically sermons is what they are and so I'll just look at the title and see if it's something I want to read. So I've been going through that series and just for about five years just picking and choosing from what I want to read but today I actually finished an entire volume. I've read every one of them in that particular volume. I noticed that there's one particular message in that volume that I've gone back to time and time again across multiple years and I date them every time I read it. And so, in fact, I have shared that particular message with you. It was so meaningful to me. There are some things you and I need to be reminded of deep within our soul more than once or twice. This one from Spurgeon was called Fear Not. That was the name of the message. Even though it's mostly about a debilitating discouragement, that undertone is fear and how God is able to see you through this kind of discouragement. It has so infiltrated my heart and mind. There's just something about that man's life and his ministry and the impact God was able to have on thousands in spite of this reality of his own struggle. The testimony about God's faithfulness that we know was true that spoke to my very core. I can almost become emotional just talking about it right now. Then there was this Bible study by Beth Moore several years ago called Believing God that I went through by myself. I didn't even have a group. I downloaded it on my computer and printed pages one by one. I don't know how many times I worked through it by myself. I did purchase the CDs when they were available to go through it again in my car because there was a concept that literally created a paradigm shift in my relationship with the Lord forever. I was clearly believing God for your life and for all the children of the world and big calamities, things like that, but not not for my life, not at that time. And I never before realized that God called that kind of unbelief sin. It never dawned on me that not believing God for what he was speaking over my life and instructing me to do was plain and simple sin. And the reason I didn't believe him was because I didn't even know who I was in Christ. I didn't know what he said about me. Even though one chapter in Ephesians talks about it, and I had read that over a dozen times, but 
that one chapter that was introduced in that study, and we actually studied it, changed my life. I knew the words were there, but I didn't own them for myself. You see, it's really not what these individuals said that made their messages so impactful. But the Word of God illuminated in such a way I could understand and I could hear it that made it recognizable to my mind and heart so that the Holy Spirit worked in me to penetrate so effectively that I was moved into action out of my previous funk or my unbelief to take that next step. John Piper has done exactly the same thing in my life with another concept. He was the pastor at Bethlehem Baptist Church, I think in Minnesota, and among other things, he started an organization called DesiringGod.org. He's written tons of powerful books. He brought a shift in my thinking in one particular message. I have heard this message or parts of it over and over just by God's providence that provided a framework that shapes every day of my life, and it's all about running well. The Bible uses this illustration several times in different ways because it's relatable. You don't have to be on a track team or headed to the Olympics to understand running or racing or trying to win. The first point that we're going to talk about today under this concept of running well is what I learned from John Piper, which he actually learned from someone else. The following four points pulls in other verses that together help find a path to a life of running well. And that's what we're going to focus on today. The first one is running unhindered. John Piper was about 12 when he talks about coming into contact with this idea. And I may not get all the details correct, but the pastor was preaching on Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. We're going to look at verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, typically, when it comes to sin and our desire to commit it, we typically ask the wrong question is what the pastor was telling this young John Piper. And typically, it's what we think of. We think of the question, is it okay to do X? Can I do it? Is it a sin? And this pastor presented a totally different framework for this young John Piper. He said that we're actually asking the wrong question. And the question should be based on the context of the whole book of Hebrews, which was not to become discouraged, not to lose heart, not to quit, to look to those who have believed that everything in this Bible is true and to remember those who got to experience God's faithfulness who trusted God in ways that defied reality in spite of delays and disappointments and despite all reason and because of that we should not ask can I do it is it a sin but does it help me run that totally changed his framework and I'm telling you when I heard that it did the same to me because I remembered Chad and I ran a marathon for the first time and it starts early in the morning it's dark it's cold and you're wearing all of your garb because you've got to stand in line and wait for quite a while before it's your turn to go and when we started everyone's got on this extra stuff they've got the sweatshirts they got the gloves they've got the sweatpants They've got everything, and you're just kind of running in place, and you're, and you're getting ready to go. And when the gun goes off and the race begins, within the first 10 miles, 
the roads downtown where we're running, they're just strewn with all sorts of clothes people have just thrown off. There's sweatshirts everywhere. By the by the tenth mile, guys, half the guys aren't even wearing shirts. They've just ditched everything. And it just really made an impact because why are they throwing that off? Because it was hindering their run. It was hindering their ability to stay at pace. It was slowing down everything they were doing and they no longer needed it. That really meant something to me. So I started looking at my own life. What am I clinging to? What am I holding on to trying to carry while I'm headed down that crowded street trying to run a marathon? I mean, that's insane if you picture it for yourself, some of what you and I are carrying. So I started looking at my day, at my stuff, at my heartfelt must-haves, at my fears that I just had to hold on to. And I realized there's no way I'm ever going to finish like this. I've got to let something go. Let me challenge you right here and right now. Picture yourself holding all of your junk with your time constraints that hold you back, your entire schedule, everything loaded on your person. And picture yourself trying to run 26.2 miles down the streets of New York or Chicago or Oklahoma City. What would be obvious to go first? What are the obvious obstacles hindering you from running well? That's where you're going to start first. What can you let go of? And then, if possible, go a step further. That's the first step to beginning to run well. The second thing is to run your race. It says in that same verse, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. A few years ago, a dear friend of mine who is exactly my size and my age and just a bundle of energy, wonderful Christian woman, I love her to pieces, woke up one morning and could no longer walk. She had lupus that was turning into what the doctors feared was MS now impacting her mobility. In a matter of eight hours, she had to deal with a new normal with three kids and a family business. Now she can't even drive. She can't cook dinner. She can't even get herself ready. What walking this road alongside her in her strength and her joy and resilience taught me is that not all racetracks are the same. Yet we are all racing toward the same end goal with equal opportunity for the exact prize promised with the same expectations to run even if you can't walk. Acts 20, 24 says, But I do not count my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. You see, you're not expected to run my race. This is what Paul is saying. He has his own race to run. And I'm not expected to run yours. Or the people I see doing all sorts of awesomeness on Facebook that I can't compete with or those we might envy. We're not expected to run the race we want to run that God has not set before us. Only that which He's designed for you and that which He's designed for me. Nothing more and nothing less. We also are to run to win. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. This is running with a purpose. We're not just hanging out, sipping our sports drinks, breathing easy. This is not how you win a race. I have one daughter who started cross-country in the seventh grade with a very transparent spirit. And every day when I asked her how her day had gone, she would tell me about practice. Well, it was hard, but I could have gone faster. Or I didn't do my best. Or I just stayed in the back with my friend. I listened to this for weeks until we neared the first competition. 
At that point, I tried to explain this distinct difference, that she was on a team running for a coach, and he expected her to do her absolute best. Cross country is not a jogging club, I explained. It's a sport where there are winners and losers, and your coach is looking for you to be a winner. He does not want to hear any mumbo-jumbo about I could have gone faster or I didn't do my best. This is where you leave it all on the track until there's nothing left. Anything less is just a hobby. And the same thing can be said about our Christianity. You and I are really faced with the same decision. Are we going to run to win or are we just running as a hobby? Paul articulates the expectation and that is running to win. It's not that I'm competing against you. You and I are on the same team. It is most beneficial when we all function at our personal best. But it is a mindset Paul is addressing. The only way to run well is to view yourself as a potential winner. God has called you to run, to throw off whatever is holding you back, to run only your race, and to do it in such a way that you are unstoppable. The next point in running well is to run in condition. 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27 says every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Again, Paul makes the connection between what an athlete would do to be fit to race. They do not prepare helter-skelter. They have a plan, and they work the plan. Christianity is no different, says Paul. You are never going to be able to run a race. You are capable of winning without a plan and the ability to work that plan. Running well as a believer requires more than being a believer and showing up for church occasionally. There are spiritual disciplines to be learned and enjoyed, scripture to be permeating throughout your whole being habits to be embraced and to rid yourself of none of it happens with the magic wand if paul has to testify i beat my body the rest of us should not expect anything less our challenge should be to consider how we need to be more disciplined i'm asking myself the same question but what do you need to do to buffer your body in your pursuit of christ i hate to even suggest anything because i have a sense you will just know but it could be You've not been in the Word enough, or maybe you meant to get back to memorizing Scripture, or or studying more, or exercising more patience. I'm just guessing here, based on my personal experience. Or say no to whatever that habit is you know you've been struggling with. Paul says, I beat my body to keep it under control. Yikes! That makes this one a matter of prayer, because... We're not Paul. (laughs) And so you and I both know that means we're going to need to do some work in this area. Asking the Lord to bring to the front of our minds and hearts what we need to do in this area in order to run well. The other thing is to run through the finish line. A few weeks ago, my daughter, who's on the cross-country team, was running a state preview. That's all the girls who would be running possibly for the state title in our division before the state competition in order to sort of see through how they might perform later. Our team was in line to take second place, but we ended up getting first because the girl who ran the whole race in first place passed out 200 meters from the finish line and was disqualified. 2 Timothy 4.7 says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. This, to me, is where discouragement kicks in. I want to take you back to the verse that we started with. Therefore, 
since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. What exactly does the writer mean by this statement? Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Well, this therefore is connecting the chapter that preceded it. Chapter 11 is a great telling of awesomeness in terms of people who demonstrated faith and experienced God's faithfulness. That should give us the encouragement to be able to go, to go hard and go fast and go through the finish. Well, how? How are we able to do that? Well, my husband ran this marathon I was telling you about, and the marathon that we ran was called the Oklahoma City Memorial Marathon. What is unique about that marathon, it is truly a memorial, remembering the victims of the bombing that occurred in that area of the city that impacted hundreds and thousands of lives in the 1990s. What so struck me was the encouragement from the crowd. So you're running through, and on the sidelines are hundreds of people through the 26 miles clapping for you, yelling to you, you can do it, first-timer, because you can tell you're a first-timer on your bib. Keep going. Thank you for running. Don't quit. You're going to be there soon. We so appreciate you for running. I was just in tears. By the time I got into the 20s, I just wasn't prepared for total strangers to be cheering for me, a non-athlete, a squatty body, who wasn't sure she was actually going to make it because I had given everything I had way back when. (laughs) There just wasn't anything left. And to have people along the way encouraging her to finish and not to quit when all I could do was want to quit because I didn't know how I was going to make it. That's exactly what, since we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, should do for us. This is what the Bible does. Don't quit. Keep going. Run hard. Run strong. Remember that God is faithful to you. You can do it. He is for you. See, He was for me. I know it's hard. You are not alone. Keep the faith. Go through the finish. Sometimes we just need some encouragement that God has enabled you to run well. That is how we do it. Now, let me encourage you in this. We've had five different ways to run well. Take this word. Let it change your thinking and your perspective if there is a need. Allow it to work in your mind, in your heart, to make you a better runner for your own race marked out for you. And don't you dare stop short of the finish. He's calling you forward toward your personal best. And always remember, your God will be faithful to you through the finish. Thank you again for tuning in today. We will be releasing a new episode every week. I would invite you to become a subscriber. And it really makes a difference when you share something here that you find helpful or encouraging. You make an impact. You may never understand the value or difference your suggestion or encouragement made in the life of a friend or casual acquaintance just by passing a resource along. So please share what you find here with others. I would personally be grateful. Don't hesitate to like us on Facebook or Twitter or leave a review. For more truth-saturated, gospel-centered, spiritually insightful encouragement, please go to www.sheyearns.com where you will find reading plans, articles, and other resources to help stir a desire for God into your everyday life.